We're going to be in Luke, Luke 10 this morning. If you need to grab a Bible, we have plenty of Bibles for you. They're located on the table around the room, so feel free to grab, grab a Bible. That is why they're there. I made a terrible mistake of asking you to say hello to somebody around you. <laughs> so Luke 10 is where we're going to be, page 725, if you're using one of our Bibles. And if you uh, are new, if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, I kind of want to let us uh, in on where, where we've been up to this point. We've been in this series called Everyday Discipleship. And uh, in this series, Everyday Discipleship, uh, we just wanted to look at what does it look like, uh, not just to be a follower of Jesus um, on Sundays, but what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus seven days out of the week? Because when you're following Jesus, he really begins to transform every aspect, every area of your life. And so we said, well, why don't we take a look at what it means to every day be following Jesus? And so we looked at first our relationship with the Father, our personal relationship with the Father. And next we looked at our, our relationship with the community around us. Uh, what does this look like to be a follower of Jesus, both with God personally and then with the community around us? And then last week we jumped into, okay, so we know the Father and we have our community. What does it look like to live on mission out of this place? What does it look like uh, to love the people that, that God puts in our path. And that's where we're headed this morning. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, we're going to look at this story in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at Jesus, and we're, we're going to look at the way that he sees people. We're going to look at the way uh, that he loves people. And I think if by the power of the Holy Spirit um, and God being here, we have the ability to really uh, change the way uh, we see things and change the way uh, that we ask questions. I've realized this week that a question can reveal uh, it can real, reveal a lot. It can reveal a lot about a person's motives. A question can reveal a lot about a person's uh, beliefs. But questions, you know, they're an important part of life. Um, they help us to discover. They help us to find. Uh, without a question, there is no answer. So questions are important. But like I said, it can reveal a lot about us, the, the questions that we ask. It can reveal a lot about our motives. It can reveal a lot about our beliefs. So for instance, uh, when me and Keela are cleaning the house, uh, you can tell a lot uh, about my heart in that moment by the questions that I ask. And so sometimes it's, okay, what do I have to do? AKA, like, what do I need to do on my chore list? Yes, you still have chores when you get married so that I can be done. Okay, what do I have to do versus how can I help? Like, very big difference between those two questions. Uh, it changes the trajectory. It changes the trajectory of the next 30 minutes in our life at home. So questions are important, but it's even more important that we, that we ask the right questions. I love the story of Martin Cooper. Uh, so Martin Cooper, he's a young engineer at a company called Motorola. And he is tasked with the process of getting a phone inside of a car. And so they ask him, hey, will you be willing to take on this project, form a team to get a phone in a car? He thinks, he says, yeah, I'll, I'll take on that project. And so before beginning, he takes this moment to, to pause and he starts asking all of these questions. And he keeps coming back to this one question. And the question he keeps coming back to is why is it that when we want to talk to a person, we have to call a place? Why is it every time we want to talk to a person, we're actually calling a place? And so this nagging, insightful question started to change the trajectory of the entire project. 
he took his team and they started to figure out, okay, how do I untether a person from a place? How do I change the question that they are asking? And so in 1973, Martin makes the first ever cell phone call uh, on a prototype phone that eventually becomes known as the brick. You know, think Saved by the, Saved by the Bell, and you got the phone that he used. And we know, we know the rest of the story. But the trajectory of his project, the trajectory of how he spent the next few years was drastically changed by the question that he was asking. And so we're going to look at a story this morning in Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at a story this morning where someone kind of asked the wrong questions for the wrong reasons. But who better to answer these questions and who better to reveal to us the right questions to ask than Jesus? Who better to look at when we ask the wrong questions than to look at Jesus? And so we're going to look to the one who sees through a lens that we long to see through, who sees through the lens of heaven, who has vision that we long to have, who has a compassion that we long to have. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, we're going to read the story together. Look at what Jesus says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus starts with this story, this parable, and he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, or he had compassion on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Jesus, he asks, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, he says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There is, there is so much in this story. I mean, there are so many observations that we could pull probably over the next 10, 20 weeks. We could pull these observations and we can apply them to our lives. But this morning, I want to look at how Jesus reframes the questions that we typically ask. How does Jesus reframe the questions that we typically ask, and how does that change the way that we are sent out on mission? How does that change the way that we love our neighbor? How does that change the way that we show compassion to those in our path? And so to let's flesh this out a little bit. I want to jump right back into the text. Verse 25 says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So an expert in law is someone who obviously 
knew a lot about the scriptures. He, he was considered an expert. And so he knew the scriptures arguably more than anybody in this. He knew the scriptures because he was actually the one who copied the scriptures. He was the one who took the scriptures and copied them from one page to another. So he knew the Old Testament stories. He knew all the stories up to this point, probably better than anyone, obviously except Jesus, but better than any of the other characters in this story. And in fact, Luke, he gives us real insight here. Um, he gives us real insight by saying that he's gonna test Jesus. We know the motive behind the question. He's not being genuine. This question, although it tells us a lot about his motive, it also tells us a lot about his belief in God. If you're following this here with me, he still believes that following God is much more of a to-do list. Do you see that? It's, it's much more of a to-do list than it is a way of living, than it is a way of being. He says, what must I do? What must I do? He assumes that all the weight, he assumes that all the weight is on his shoulders. Eternal life hinges on how good he is as opposed to how good God is. And so Jesus, he puts the question kind of back to him in this moment. Verse 26, Jesus kind of begins to uncover his motive, his belief. He says, what, what does the law say? Jesus asks him. He says, what, what are your thoughts? You know, what, what are you seeing here? And I'm sure at this moment in time, he's feeling pretty good. Like, he's feeling pretty good about himself. He knows the answer to this question. I think he's thinking, hey, I've, I've been doing this pretty well. And so verse 27 he quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He knows the answer. He knows that you are supposed to love God with all of your being. You're supposed to love God with all of your conscience, with all of your emotions, with all of your body, with all of your thought. He knows you're supposed to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. He knows it. And so Jesus, he says, thumbs up. You got the answer correct. That's how he responds. If you live like this, he says, if you live like this, you will live. And I believe, I believe the story could have taken a very different turn. This story could have taken a drastic turn in a different direction at this moment in time. He could have said, and what I think the correct response in this moment would have been is, there is no way I can do this. There is no way I can do this on my own. How, how am I supposed to accomplish this? With all my heart, with all my soul, with all of my mind, with every fiber of my being, how am I supposed to do this on my own? And I think Jesus would have just gently said, hey, you're right, you can't do this. Only, only I can do this. And I'm going to do this through you. There's a big difference here. This isn't something that you can do on your own. This isn't something that you muster up out of your own strength. This isn't something that you just check off of your to-do list. You will burn out and you will fall short every single time. This is something that I must do in you, transforming you from the inside out. But the story, it, it kind of takes a different turn. This is, this is not his response. This was not his question but I love, I love Jesus in the coming moments. 
even when we kind of ask the wrong questions, even when uh, we have the wrong motives in mind, I love the way Jesus responds. This gentle course correction is so dang beautiful. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who, who exactly is my neighbor, Jesus? And there's a lot going on here. Uh, I just want to make two observations. In one sense, I think he's trying to affirm himself in the fact that he says, okay, I have been loving the people who live beside me pretty well. I have been loving the people who, who look like me, who talk like me, who act like me, who believe like me, who vote like me. I, I've been loving those people pretty well. But I also think he wants to limit the type of people that he has to love. I think he wants to limit um, and define who exactly are the people that deserve my love, Jesus. Who qualifies for my help? Who qualifies for my compassion? Who, who qualifies of the mission I'm on? And you know Jesus did not like this question. It was the wrong question. This question separated humanity into two groups of people, and Jesus did not like this. It separated humanity into groups of people who are worthy of love and groups of people who are not worthy of love. Jesus does not answer the question, who is my neighbor? He tells a parable that completely changes the question. Changes the question from who is my neighbor? What kind of person is my neighbor? To what kind of person am I? What kind of person is my neighbor is no longer the question, it's what kind of person am I? He changes the question from what status of people are worthy of my love to how can I become the kind of person whose compassion disregards differences? Do you see the difference between those two questions? What status of people are worthy of my love to how can I become the kind of person whose compassion disregards differences? Jesus, who is the most brilliant of teachers, he shifts the focus of the conversation. He begins to reframe the questions that we typically ask and is going to change the way that we love and view our neighbor. And how, how amazing is it that we get to learn from him? How amazing is it that we get to be led by him, be transformed by him, the one that so brilliantly is getting ready to do this? So Jesus, he begins a story. He begins a story that's gonna reframe. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. So just so we can imagine ourselves in this story, uh, this route was probably about 17 miles long. The terrain was rough, it was rocky, it was hilly. It was known for having caves all along the journey where robbers were able to hide out to rob people. And I kept imagining this week, okay, where, where do we frequently walk that has rough terrain? And I kept imagining, uh, you know all those Instagram photos you see of like a waterfall at the end? It's like, how do you get to that waterfall? And I kept imagining that journey, uh, the rough terrain, you know, having to walk uh, a really long distance. For those of you that are hikers, you may understand this a little bit more. For those of us who are not, we're just going to have to go here in our minds. And it's like walking on that long, treacherous trail 
you're tired, you're exhausted, and all of a sudden you stumble upon someone who's on that trail, but they're half beaten and they're almost dead. And this is kind of the scene that we find ourselves, find ourselves in. And notice how we know very little about the man himself. Uh, we don't really know much other than his physical state. Uh, we don't really see Jesus describe his, his background or his story or his race, uh, anything like that. Because Jesus is, is going to shift the focus. He's going to reframe things for us. And he's actually going to focus on the ones who are passing by. So verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. So a, Le- a priest and a Levite um, were two of the most religious folks of the time. They would have been considered um, the spiritually elite during this time. The priest was actually the one who kind of helped run the temple. And the Levite uh, was the one who was actually an assistant to the priest in the temple. In fact, they actually think, uh, the way Jesus was telling this story, that the priest and the Levite were actually coming from a time in the temple together in this moment. And I kept imagining how the audience would have heard this story. So different than we hear this story. A Jewish audience, when they heard this story, I kept imagining them hearing when Jesus started to describe the first person that was going to stop a priest. Oh, hey, this is going to be, this is going to be a short story. Like, this story is going to end very quickly. Uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't stop. He passes by on the other side. But we know Levite's coming. And so, I mean, they're probably thinking, okay, the priest didn't have time, but his assistant, the Levite, is coming behind very shortly after, so I'm sure, I'm sure the Levite's gonna stop. But no, the Levite doesn't stop. And I think in this moment in time, they're somewhat were, were dumbfounded by what was going on. And spoiler alert, the Good Samaritan's coming next. And we have to understand just how shocking this would have been to them. To us, we hear this, oh yeah, heard that story before. But to them, to hear that a Samaritan man was going to be the one to stop would have left them absolutely shocked. This was a group of people that, that they absolutely despised. And we we're talking uh, a thousand years of hatred built up in this moment. So imagine the one who's stopping here in this moment uh, was a people group that they, they not only disliked, but they hated. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him, or he had compassion on him, some of your translations might say. And something that just kept sticking out to me over and over and over again this week was that part when it says, when, when he saw him, in his heart reaction after that moment, when he saw the man, and his heart reaction after that moment. When he saw the hurt man, his immediate reaction, his immediate reaction was one of compassion and love. I just kept thinking, okay, how often is this my reaction? Even in the moments when I'm not avoiding people, like how often is my immediate reaction one full of love and compassion? How often is it coming from a place 
of obligation versus a place of overflow. And we can believe this even more, that this man's reaction was coming from a place of overflow as, a place, as opposed to a place of obligation because of the way we continue to read this story. Verse 34, he went to him and he bandages his wounds, pouring oil and wine, which would have soothed and disinfected the wounds. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He uses what he has. He uses what he has to meet the needs in front of him. What he has to meet the needs in front of him. This man, he needs his wounds healed and soothed, and so he takes his own oil and his own wine. This man needs to be taken to a safe place, so he uses his own donkey. This man's gonna need farther care, and so he uses his own money. But he also uses the community around him. And this is something I've never noticed before, but I think it's pretty important for us uh, this morning to notice. He goes to great lengths, but yet he realizes he is not the only one in the picture here. He is not the savior. He is not gonna be the only one that helps bring this man healing. Where do we see that? We see that in his trust in the community around him. We see that in the trust of the innkeeper that he asks to keep watch, which I think is really significant. You see how the focus has shifted? The question about what kind of man is dying, it, it's not even in the story anymore. The whole focus has kind of shifted to what kind of people are passing by. The first two, there's no compassion. But in the Samaritan, there's, there's just something different. There's something different about this man. So when you get to the end, what's the question that Jesus asks? Does he ask, so was the wounded man your neighbor? No, that's, that's not the question he asks. Jesus, verse 36, he asks the expert, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? to the man who fell among the robbers. Significant. The expert in verse 37, he says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus, he tells him, he says, you go and do likewise. You go and be a person of compassion. So Jesus, he's helped reframe the situation. He's helped reframe the questions from what kind of person is my neighbor to what kind of person am I? from what status of people are worthy of my love to how can I become the kind of person whose compassion disregards differences. And we're able to see here just in the expert that there's a big difference between knowing the answers in your head and knowing the answers in your heart because you can have all the answers up here and not have any of the answers down here and the results are gonna be very different because we know that when we're following Jesus, so often the answers to our question will actually lead to action. And the action, it can either come from a place of obligation or it can come from a place of overflow. It can come from a place of our own strength or it can come from a place of his strength. We can try and just manufacture 
all of these opportunities for us to show compassion, or we can simply respond to the opportunities Jesus places before us with compassion. It can be all about what we're doing, or it can be about who we are becoming. And my hope and my prayer, and it's been all week, is that by the grace of Jesus, he will reframe the way we approach love and compassion towards others. But how, do, how does this manifest? How does this happen? How do we not become experts of the law? I think we have to look at how Jesus responds to us. How does Jesus respond to us in our moments? I think we have to be continually reminded Jesus is the definition of love. Jesus is the definition of compassion. That in the midst of our helplessness, that in the midst of our brokenness, what did Jesus do? What do we see Jesus doing? When we can't and we could not help ourselves, what did Jesus do? He left perfection. He left the perfection of heaven to enter into our broken world, to redeem our broken world by going to the cross. Jesus, he did not just come so he could tell us how to live our lives. Jesus came to give us life, came to give us life, life to the fullest, life eternal. He takes our old hearts and he gives us new ones, just like it says in Ezekiel. A new heart I will give you. A new heart I will give you. A new spirit I will put in you. Those who follow Jesus all the way to the cross see him there paying for their new heart. And it's with this new heart, it's with this new heart as we look to Jesus and all he's done for us that he begins to transform us from the inside out. We begin to see as he sees. It's out of this place. It's out of this place of internal transformation that we begin to see as Jesus sees. That compassion and mercy is not something on a to-do list, but it's coming from a place of overflow within us. So as we leave today, the last thing I want us doing is being experts of the law, but I also don't want us leaving with something we can do uh, to reflect upon the goodness of Jesus. And we've been doing this every single week. Hey, on Monday, what do we do? And so I want to just give us something to try. I want to give us just three things to try that'll take us to a place where our, our surrender, our surrender to Jesus, our thankfulness to Jesus, our lives following Jesus, leaves us pouring out mercy and compassion onto those he places before us, not out of obligation, but out of the overflow of who he's making us to be. So there's three things. One, I just want us to spend time thanking Jesus. Let's spend time just in reflection and awe and just thanking Jesus every single day. However you wanna do this, you can create a list in your phone and keep it going all week. Just thanking Jesus uh, for, for all that he's done. It can be the simple things of the day. It can be the big things of your life. But every day, let's spend some time thanking Jesus, looking to Jesus for what he's done. And the second thing, I just want us to pray a simple prayer together. And I believe God listens to us. I believe God answers prayer. 
So this is just not something on to-do list. This is a way that he can transform us from the inside out. And this is the prayer. God, Father, however you talk to God, transform me from the inside out to see as you see. Transform me from the inside out to see as you see. Third thing is I just want to invite us to keep our eyes open. To keep our eyes open this week. I, I really believe he's going to begin to answer this prayer. Maybe not in the ways that we expect always or in the timing that we expect. But if we ask him to transform our hearts from the inside out and to see as he sees, I believe he's going to give us opportunity to show compassion, to show love, and to be a neighbor, wherever that neighbor may be, and whoever that neighbor may be. It may be a coworker, it may be a literal neighbor, it may be somebody you meet in the line at Kroger, but I believe he's gonna give us opportunities this week. If we have our eyes open, and he's transforming us from the inside out to be people of compassion and love and mercy. And not out of a place of our own strength, but out of a place of his strength. So as we get ready to head to communion, I kind of want to invite us in on those first two pieces together. One, I just want to invite us to just spend some time thanking Jesus. And that's what we're going to do the rest of our time together in worship. And two, I, I, I want to just invite you to pray this prayer as you head to communion, maybe with uh, friends or family or folks you came with, or if you want somebody to pray with in the back, we've got men and women that'll be in the back that would love to pray with you. God, will you transform us from the inside out to see as you see? So let's pray. We'll head to the table together. Father, oh man, I just love your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you for the amazing gift of Jesus. Thank you for the unending mercy of Jesus. Thank you for the unfailing love of Jesus. Thank you for being a God who is everlasting to everlasting, whose presence does not, uh, is not confined, whose presence uh, infiltrates every area of every place. God, I would just ask that you would do that here amongst us this morning. Father, if there is anything that I said that is not of you, I just ask you would allow us to forget it. God, will you allow us to forget anything that is not of you? God, I ask that anything that is of you, that is from you, that you would bury that deep into our hearts just by the goodness and power and name of Jesus. God, will you not allow us to leave this place thinking about all that we need to do, but will you give us a heart, God? Will you give us a heart to be people of compassion and mercy to those around us? You are so good. Help us to believe that you are good. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.